365 Success app offers a simple daily tip for a more balanced life. 365 Success is a one-year plan over six levels where a new tip is displayed each day. The people behind 365 Success are academic and creative life hackers Dr. Nisha O'Reilly, Dr. Graham Hughes and Marie O'Riordan. Discover 365 Success, available now in the App Store. Hello and you're very welcome to episode 20 of Purple Psychology. I'm Marie O'Riordan. Thank you for tuning in in 48 countries now on six continents and welcome back Dr. Nisha O'Reilly. Thank you. When are we going to get to 50? <laughs> 50 countries. I will get there soon enough, I'm sure. You wanted to start off by talking about escalators and children and some children not being able to negotiate an escalator. Yes, I remember this during the week because I was actually having a problem with an escalator myself. And I remembered that one of my pet hates as a child was escalators and being really freaked out by them. I remember being in a shopping centre and, you know, taking a great deal of time to actually get onto this one particular escalator because it was really steep. And now, with hindsight and reflection, I realise why I find it hard. So people with dyslexia find sequencing very difficult. And we actually find it hard to count and to relate to cycles. Um, so this can be simple things like learning the pattern of the days of the week, the months of the year, how many days there are in certain months, and so on. I, I still struggle with a lot of those. And um, tying your shoelaces as well, but for slightly different reasons. Um, so what actually happens in the escalator scenario is that you can't tell the track and you don't know when to get onto it, when the step is going to be there for you. And we're not very good at counting in our head as well. So when I was doing piano in school, I actually really insulted my piano teacher because she used to drive me nuts because she w I wouldn't be able to count in my head and she'd start counting over me and then you know what I'm like so if someone's counting over me and I'm trying to read something and find the keys on the piano I'm kind of like I turn and say would you just shut up and she did shut up <laughs> <laughs> and took massive offense so it's like you know we have to kind of streamline the information so if you do want to help a child get over an escalator what they actually need to do is they need to count rhythmically out loud for themselves and sort of go one, two, three, four and count the speed of the escalator and step on when it suits them and then they don't have to be afraid of it anymore. I played piano also as a child. I wasn't very good at it so I'm not dyslexic. I am profoundly auditory and I didn't do well in piano. Yes, you excelled in piano. Is that because the dyslexic and the mathematical side of music... I, I don't really know, like I know I have quite a good rhythm and I, I you know, I, I find music as a massive outlet and what's quite interesting is I look at music very differently to other people. I see a lot of colour in music because um, I'm massively into colour and I do see colour in a lot of different situations and what I was very good at was um, seeing the points that music built up to and the points where it regressed and went back and seeing those patterns in it and I suppose dyslexics do see huge patterns in music but we don't we don't traditionally teach music in that way. We don't teach about patterns. Um, and interestingly, I had a really talented teacher at one point, and I, I really liked the guy. And I turned around to him one day and I said, I don't know why they put the left hand and the right hand on, on separate lines. I find that really confusing. Why don't they just put them together? And he laughed and he said, well, actually, a lot of conductor sheets, they're all together. And, and in old times, they used to be together, but people find it head-wrecking. But I actually would prefer if they were superimposed on each other and not separate. I find it quite hard to think about the left and right hand separately. 
So it is interesting when you start to look at how people learn music. And obviously I never did exams because I was never going to be able to sight read. I studied classical music for three years and because I'm not good at mathematics, I found it very difficult. But my teacher was a genius, Mrs. O'Brien, to this day. I think she was absolutely amazing and a turning point in my education because I loved music so much. You have developed a stack of new methods. Where are you going to start? Um, yeah, the summer is interesting for me because it's a big time of reflection. And it's not that these methods have like suddenly been plucked out of thin air. They are ongoing work for years, but I suppose I've had time to sit down and write up where people are at and, and what we've achieved and to see the patterns in what's being achieved and how it's being achieved and to actually maybe put names to things. Um, so that other people can relate to them. So there's three main areas I've been working on. Um, one of them is called Purple Speech Paths. Um, I've doing, been doing a lot of work with um, sort of 18 months to six-year-olds on speech um, over the last while. And this is looking at the reasons why, the various reasons why people find it difficult to talk and the impacts on that. And going on from that, I've been working on purple empathy creation. Um, there's actually a big overlap. I've discovered that um, empathy is massively connected to communication. And when you don't have proper communication, particularly with your siblings and with your closest family, it's one of the biggest reasons for empathy not forming. And the last one is purple integration programs, which is a lot of the work we've been doing with people with dyspraxia and dyscalculia. And there's actually a great deal of similarities between those two. And it's all to do with the left right brain integration um, and our balance within our bodies and our sense of selves, um, which actually is connected back to the escalators. And people who live, yeah, I was just going to ask, do people who live with these conditions have, you know, issues when it comes to escalators? I'm sure that a lot of parents will look back and see, oh, wow, that's why that was so difficult. One of the other quirky things I've been working on is um, dealing with perfectionist children. So, um, I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> perfectionist. You're <laughs> two, two adult perfectionists here. Were we always like that? I think so. Yes, I think it's just in our makeup of our personalities. Some people need to be perfect and some people are more slapdash and that's just the way it is. But perfectionism in children can be taken to a whole other level. It can be quite hard to live with. It can actually stop you from doing a lot of things. And I suppose a lot of people see it as very OCD behaviour. And what is, is there a fine line or is there a complete distinction between perfectionism in children and OCD behaviour? Or what are your thoughts on it? I think OCD behaviour um, is when it becomes very negative and when your perfectionism is controlling you so much that you're actually stopping yourself from doing things. Um, now, obviously, there's uh, with the OCD, there's another part to it too, where there's a sort of a repeat um, cycle and, and, and a repetition of, of a cycle that you need to do, and you need to do that repetition. And it's a coping... Is it comfort, trauma, comfort combination? It's a coping strategy. Um, so you get yourself into this cycle and there's something that you have to do over and over and over. Um, so that's, that's, a little bit, that's a little bit different. But what I find really interesting is talking to people that, you know, the obvious thing that people do when they're dealing with someone who's perfectionist is they turn around and they say things to them like, you know, oh, it doesn't have to be perfect, it's fine, like, you're very good, <clears throat> you're being too hard on yourself, all, these, all of this focus. And it's always on the perfectionist on the person, when actually when you put the focus on the environment and you put the focus on everybody else, and everybody else just emphasises how they're not perfect, how they make mistakes, how they laugh at their mistakes, how it's okay to make mistakes, how we all do stupid things, how it's not the end of the world. And when you put the focus on everybody else, the perfectionist actually feels better 
I was quite OCD as a teenager. I think it was more a coping strategy as well. Yeah, but you also worked in a very OCD environment as well. Media is, is exceptionally OCD. A huge amount of the people of my colleagues in the media industry were, were OCD, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and again, it's, it is a coping strategy because they're, they're so much under the spotlight as well. Stress, a huge amount of stress, time deadlines. You have a deadline every 15 minutes. Yeah, um, and, and we've seen a huge amount of OCD behaviour in sports superstars for the same reason as well. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Some of the champions we've been working with have... Uh, they've got... It's almost like... What I've noticed with the, with the movie studios and the actors, it's more superstition, but with the sports people, it's definitely OCD. Yeah, so, you know, it, it's, it's there with, with everybody. I'm, I'm always thinking ahead, so I'm thinking ahead to the next episode, so I'm going to talk a lot about joint writing and script writing in the next episode. Oh, your favourites. <laughs> Not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but one of the, the pieces to run into this is that I've, I've realised again, having had time to reflect, that there's actually different types of practical. So we're kind of, you know, my definition of a practical person is they're always able to, you know, pick up the new piece of technology and know how to use it. Which I can't. Right. Okay. I have to read the instructions from top to bottom, A to Z. You don't. I just press the buttons. Okay. But it, it's not really that simple, I realise, that actually there's people who are quite practical in their thinking and their approach to stuff, but they go about it making something in such a random way that it never quite works. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when I give them um, my magnets to build things for me, to explain to our listeners, Nisha does 2D, 3D, quite elaborate creations with children to see how they're ticking inside. Yeah, but it's not that they can't build me something quite three-dimensional and quite practical. It's just that the way that they go about assembling it is different, and so it takes them longer to get there. So I've realised that there's actually two different types of practical people. So that, that's just an interesting point to end on. Further information, as always, on purplepsychology.com. Dr. Nisha O'Reilly, thank you for being here. Thank you. That's episode 20 of Purple Psychology. Thank you for tuning in in 48 countries. She can't wait for you to get to 50, I suppose. I can't wait either. Thanks for tuning in this time. 365 Success app offers a simple daily tip for a more balanced life. 365 Success is a one-year plan over six levels where a new tip is displayed each day. The people behind 365 Success are academic and creative life hackers Dr. Nisha O'Reilly, Dr. Graham Hughes and Marie O'Reardon. Discover 365 Success, available now in the App Store.